This is District Sentinel Radio, the newscast of record for the left. I'm Sam Sachs. I'm Sam Knight. Joined here by intern Nate. Hey, how's it going, guys? Going well, going well. Check out the website, districtsentinel.com. Broadcasting out of the hero of the working class and best looking member of DSA Brandon Hinky Studios. I think this is uh, probably the last week that we'll be broadcasting out of that. And then we have a brand new studio name to debut. We got a new uh, subscriber at the studio naming level, so uh, stay tuned for that. We're back after a few days of hiatus. I was in uh, Pittsburgh over the weekend. Also, we had our 420 live show that we recovered from a bit. Thanks to everyone who came out. Uh, Sorry if uh, we got too stoned or if things got a little crazy for you. But uh, it was a fun party. Good to meet all of you. Yeah. Yeah, it absolutely was. And uh, don't be shy. You know, give us a shout out. Not sure if we're ever going to get the recording of that show. Yeah, it might have disappeared into the ether, which is probably for the best. Uh, But it was a wild show if you were there. We've got another live show coming up on Friday of this week. If you're in the D.C., Northern Virginia area, we actually don't have the venue details yet. We'll announce them on tomorrow's show. Stay tuned to our Twitter, too. We'll announce the details of that. But it's in Northern Virginia. We're doing a live show. We're going to have some of the Discourse Collective boys there with us, too. So, right, uh, Malloy and Ian will be there. Yeah. yeah now, it, it'll be another Friday show. We've usually done our live shows on Thursday. Another Friday show, though, folks. So this one also this not is, on a school night. Yes, this is a uh, charity show for Nova DSA's Breaklight Benefit. A lot more wholesome than a 420 show. Sam and I are still working on the one-foot joint. That was passed around. A little disappointed in everyone for not finishing it on Friday night, but uh, and disappointed in limp. you guys for not finishing it over the weekend. So here I am on Tuesday still having to smoke the damn thing. You're acting like uh, I'm not smoking it, too. You're, you're acting like this is a, a solo endeavor that we're just throwing you uh, uh, under the bus. And by the way, sorry you have to smoke a giant joint. That must be really hard for you. <laughs> It actually is a little tough to smoke right now. I know, I, I know, I'm doing it too. So as Sam noted a few moments ago, we haven't recorded a show for a while. The last time we recorded a show, I believe I noted that the Caps uh, had a bit of a winning streak going in the wake of Barbara Bush's death. Guess what? They've won four consecutive now since Barbara Bush died. And George H.W. is not doing so well, too. What if him dying cancels out the positive effect that Barbara Bush dying has had on the Caps? I think it'll potentiate it, personally. Really? Yeah. What do you Similar mean? Similar events. They'll okay. catalyze each other. All right. So so maybe the Caps will actually beat the Penguins this year. For the first time since 1994, I believe... <laughs> It's been like uh, 10 times in a row they've lost to the Penguins since since 1994, the the first year I ever watched hockey playoffs as a child. All it took was the matriarch and patriarch of the Bush crime family dying to take the caps over the top here. Well, we'll see. We'll see. But 
I think because of Barbara Bush's death, I'm feeling better about the Caps' chances than I have in a very long time. Big news. The worst tweet tournament has ended. Voting. Late Friday night. David Frum beat Brianne of Snarth. His tweet right now is the worst tweet after 50-something thousand votes were cast. Any final thoughts on uh, what we learned from the worst tweet tournament? That David from is a very bad person indeed. If you have a chance... Did we learn that actually or is that just confirmation bias? Probably, probably the latter. If you can, and you hey, are on hey, Twitter. I, I, don't think, I don't think thousands of voters are actually wrong about this, actually. Well, there were thousands of votes for Brand too, but... Not enough. Not enough. Not thousands enough. Be sure to tweet at David Frum, at D-A-V-I-D-F-R-U-M, right now congratulating him on winning the Worst Tweet Tournament. We don't know what's next over at Worst Damn Tweet, but stay tuned. We'll be highlighting more bad tweets, I think, or something. But follow at Worst Damn Tweet. Good content is guaranteed. Thank you to everyone who voted. This tournament happened because of you. Thanks to all our new subscribers on Patreon, patreon.com slash district sentinel. Five bucks a month gets you access to bonus content. Also, our exclusive weekly podcast, The Sentinel Cast. It also gets you your own haiku read on the air, which we're about to do right now. This is for Matthew. Love that 420. Uh-oh, got too paranoid. Called cops on myself. Thank you, Matthew. This one is for Amanda. My mom says I can't make fun of Babs Bush dying. But what about George? Thank you, Amanda. Quite frankly, what about both? This is for Craig. Just a normal day, intern Nate and I hanging at the damn graveyard. Thank you, Craig. This one is for Zach, the cool kid in school, and his ripped Buddy Slater. It's peak performance. Thank you, Zach. Finally, this is for Mason. Regular dude here. Buying up 800 homes, I'm Sean Hannity. Thank you, Mason. And again, thank you to all our new subscribers on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash district sentinel. It's Monday, April 24th, 2018. Here's the news. President Trump welcomed French President Emmanuel Macron to the White House for a two-day visit and talks on issues ranging from Syria to climate change to trade. But at the top of the agenda, the Iran nuclear deal, which is up for recertification next month, and which France and all the other nations involved in the negotiations want to preserve, except for the U.S. And on Wednesday, Macron appeared to give Trump a lifeline on the issue, saying he's open to negotiating a new Iran agreement with the Trump administration. For a number of months, I've been saying that this was not a sufficient deal, but that, that it enabled us, at least until 2025, to have um, some control over their nuclear activities. 
pouvoir désormais travailler sur wish from now un nouvel accord. To work on a new deal with Iran. Cool. Indulging our huge, stupid diaper baby of a president. Yeah, exactly. What could possibly go wrong? Exactly. Macron went on to describe a four-pillar deal that addresses one, short-term nuclear ambitions in Iran, which the JCPOA does, as Macron said. Two, long-term nuclear ambitions. Three, ballistic missile testing. And four, Iranian influence in Syria and elsewhere in the region. So a lot of Macron's fans in the U.S. are saying that the French president is manipulating Trump here and shoving Trump off his hardline position to tear up the deal and getting Trump to instead agree to just change and expand the current deal. But I'm not so sure that's what's actually going on here. It looks like Macron might be giving Trump cover, as Sam Knight said, to not certify the Iran deal next month on the 12th when it comes up for certification, particularly since Trump said this right after Macron's remarks. We will have a strong blockage to the Mediterranean, which to me is very important, because if we don't, you have Iran going right to the Mediterranean. Not going to have that. But there is a chance, and nobody knows what I'm going to do on the 12th, although, Mr. President, you have a pretty good idea. But we'll see. But we'll see also if I do what some people expect, whether or not it will be possible to do a new deal with solid foundations, because this is a deal with decayed foundations. It's a bad deal. It's a bad structure. It's falling down. Should have never, ever been made. So the way I read that is... If Trump does what he says he's going to do all along, which is get out of the Iran deal, last time he certified it in January, he said this is the last time, this is the last chance, he would isolate the U.S. from the rest of the nations involved in negotiating the Iran deal. But here comes Macron saying, if you get out, I'm willing to work with you on a new one. I really think you'd be hard-pressed to find a more embarrassing idea than the idea that Macron would was going to put up forward some sort of axis of resistance to Trump. It's been thoroughly discredited. Anyone who promoted that idea, uh, you shouldn't believe the thing they say ever again. And in that vein, and uh, to touch on some of the things that you were saying also, Sam, the idea that Macron is playing Trump like a fiddle is ridiculous. He's just engaged in real politique, trying to maximize uh, his own country's interests. And Part of that means flattering our stupid fucking baby president and going along with what he does because he doesn't give a fuck, Macron. He's he's a banker. He he comes from the neoliberal tradition. He's just trying to maximize his fucking utility. Should Trump decide to carry through on nixing the deal, his the the man he would uh, have in charge of doing that, Mike Pompeo, should he become Secretary of State? Well, anyways, his nomination to Secretary of State just advanced cleared the Senate Foreign Relations Committee last night, thanks to Rand Paul, who we were giving praise to on this show last week because Rand Paul came out in opposition of Mike Pompeo. Rand flipped late last night, said he got assurances from Pompeo on a number of issues. Pretty embarrassing, too, because uh, Rand Paul voted against Pompeo as CIA director, and He's clearly doing the Trump administration a favor and trying to save face for Republicans. He's he's a GOP fuckboy. He's a good team player. What can we say? Yeah, but it wasn't just Rand Paul on the committee last night that helped Mike Pompeo. So, too, did Democrat Chris Coons, which was because Republican Senator Johnny Isaacson wasn't 
uh, available. He was speaking at a friend's funeral or something and couldn't make the vote, which meant that there wasn't a majority to get Pompeo through committee. But then Coons changed his vote from no to present to then give Republicans the majority to so fucking advance stupid. Pompeo. Holy shit, that is so profoundly yes, stupid. Yes, yes. Allowing Pompeo to smooth to sail through committee, a guy who endorses torture, wants to tear up the Iran deal, but is my bigoted. Norms, my norms. There's been recent reports about how he's tried to proselytize people at the CIA, about how he stole valor. and he's uh, people about the rapture at the CIA. Yeah, Coons is letting him through just uh, because uh, one of his Republican friends couldn't make the vote. On second thought, if he's telling people at the CIA about the rapture, we should probably get him the fuck out of there as soon as possible. Put him in the State Department. (laughs) Consumer cybersecurity has been in the news lately in the ongoing fallout over the Facebook Cambridge Analytica scandal. And it was in the news again today, this time involving an internet giant from a bygone era, Yahoo!, The SEC today announced $35 million in penalties stemming from a December 2014 hack of Yahoo, one that impacted hundreds of millions of users. The personal information was stolen by Russian hackers, and it included encrypted passwords and other information so sensitive that it was referred to by Yahoo's security team as, quote, the crown jewels. Due to the severity of this breach, senior executives were notified within days, but Yahoo didn't disclose the breach to investors until two years after it happened, and this was only because the company was in the process of being acquired by Verizon. That's why they spilled the beans. Because of the takeover, the SEC actually worked out the settlement with a company called Altaba, an investment firm that owns Yahoo leftovers that weren't acquired by Verizon. According to the company itself, Altaba owns some $88 billion in assets. If you're a listener to this show, you're probably really sick of Democrats talking about Russiagate and almost nothing else. And when the DNC sued Donald Trump, WikiLeaks, and the Russian government last week, you probably let out a massive groan. Well, it turns out there are some, well, it turns out there are actually some powerful Democrats who feel the exact same way. According to a new BuzzFeed story, Midwestern Dems think the party is relying way too much on the Putin puppet messaging, so much so that they're alienating potential voters. As one Ohio County party chair put it, I'm not saying it's not important. Of course it's important. But do they honestly think that people we just laid off another shift at the car plant in my home county give a shit about Russia when they don't have a freaking job? And it's not just local level party types who feel this way. A spokesperson for Missouri Senator Claire McCaskill told BuzzFeed that the senator thinks the DNC lawsuit, the one filed last week against Russia and against the GRU, is a silly distraction. Ultimately, the big issue Midwestern Dems have with the Russia stuff is that, according to them at least, it plays better with people who are already dedicated Democrats and doesn't do much to convince the unconverted. So just to play devil's advocate... If something plays well with Democrats, isn't that something you want to focus on going into midterms to get people to come out to vote? Or is the Russia stuff just such a non-starter for the majority of people who vote Democrats that it's really something that they, they should just ignore altogether? I'm not sure that it actually does motivate Democrats to vote that much. Yeah, that's that's what I was getting I think at. It, I think it motivates them to watch TV and MSNBC and stuff, but Trump's not going to be on the ballot in 2018. And a lot of Republican candidates probably are going to be running away from Trump 
and talking about other issues. So I, I don't know. I, I mean, well, I guess it depends also on what the Mueller investigation comes out between now and then, too. Last week, the House Agriculture Committee marked up the farm bill along party lines because Republicans want to add work requirements to food stamps. Today, the issue was brought up in the Senate Ag Committee by Kirsten Gillibrand. Here she is pressing Secretary of Agriculture Sonny Perdue. Most people on SNAP are already working. In fact, if you look at the entire recipients of SNAP, less than 5% are able-bodied who aren't working. And you know job markets in some communities are very difficult to find a job uh, and get a job. So I want you to look at this issue again. The thing about the House bill is they're requiring paperwork. They're requiring that you certify that you're working every month. If you require people to certify every month that they're working, all you will do was assure more people who deserve it and need it will not get food stamps because they will stop going in to do their monthly report. Unfortunately, Gillibrand then described the paperwork requirements as stupid, as if Republicans don't intend to kick people off the food stamp rolls, as if that's not the point of all this. She also didn't really push back when Purdue suggested there are 9 million SNAP recipients who could but choose not to work. In 2017, there were more than 40 million people receiving food stamps through SNAP. The vast majority of them are working poor. Finally today, Trump's pick to head up the Department of Veterans Affairs, Dr. Ronnie Jackson, is facing some stiff headwinds. He was supposed to face a confirmation hearing in the Senate on Wednesday, but that's now been delayed as senators looking to pass allegations that could sink Jackson's nomination. There are charges that Jackson drank on the job, created a hostile work environment, and overprescribed medication. Jackson told reporters that he's disappointed the hearing was postponed, but looks forward to addressing all of these issues when it is rescheduled. Trump, however, wasn't exactly encouraging of his nominee's prospects, saying that if he was Jackson, he would bow out now. Jackson previously served as the White House physician for both Trump and President Obama. I'm sure if his nomination is uh, in jeopardy at the end, Heidi Heitkamp, Joe Manchin, and others will come in to save him. Don't forget Joe Donnelly. And Joe Donnelly. All right, that's going to do it for the newscast today. Listeners, call the rant line 202-684-6108. Leave us a message. Read Kevin Smith's tweet to us again if you'd like. Sponsors of the show include the Congressional Dish podcast hosted by Jen Briney. Find it at congressionaldish.com. Another sponsor, levelnews.org. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or tune in by searching for District Sentinel Radio. Give us a review. Give us a rating. Tell your friends to listen. We're in D.C. so you don't have to be.